one two one two episode nine of four hour edification action hello and thank you for downloading this edition of four hour edification i'm eddie francis and if you have downloaded on podbean or from itunes or google play thank you so much and i'm gonna go to the vault for two interviews from my radio days i used to co-produce and contribute to an award-winning talk show called sunday journal you can catch it right now on iHeartRadio, wyld fm shout out to my man kyle clark the host of the show the producer of the show and contributor lisa phillips uh, lisa as a matter of fact is uh, the young lady who interviews me every month for a career segment so when i was on sunday journal i had a really cool segment and i was able to get two interviews with two of the coolest people among the very, very cool people who I talked to on these segments. And it was a father-daughter combo. Uh, the first interview I did was actually with an actor by the name of Lance E. Nichols, a hip-hop artist by the name of Voice. Well, these interviews go back to 2010, but you can check out the latest info about Voice and Lance on the podcast description. Go ahead, check them out. They are still kicking this, still doing their thing. But tell you what we're going to do. We are going to do ladies first. So let's start with hip hop artist and educator voice. And then we're going to flow into one of my favorite interviews of all time with actor and acting instructor Lance Nichols. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. This is how I was introduced to voice. Uh, after one of the Sunday Journal interviews, uh, Lance walks up to me and he says, hey, look, I, I really want you to listen to the stuff by my daughter, Voice. And I just stood there and I said, Voice? I said, I said what's her name? And he said, Voice. And, um, and I said, okay. And the thing that really grabbed me about the introduction is that he was so passionate about making sure that somebody here's what you have to say here's your music and let's face it you have a lot of parents who are going to say oh could you help my child out i mean yeah. they got some good stuff and, <laughs> and and he's a good boy and and you know and everything but he was really passionate and engaged and really felt that this young lady is actually uh really going somewhere with parents like yours um did you feel that your life was always headed for art uh yeah Actually, um, I, I laugh and make jokes that our family could use some doctors and lawyers because artists don't have health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kind of knew. Like, for me, art is the norm, and everything else was a discovery process. But apparently I've always been a little businesswoman, so I use both sides of the brain. Uh, well. So where did the businesswoman kick in? I think growing up in America. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was the kid who had the lemonade stand, the lanyards for sale. Um, there was always some sort of, I was the original hustle woman. Um, and my parents always laughed, like, I would create original plays and then charge my parents to come into the living room to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, wait, wait a minute. How much did you charge them? Like $2, just to cover the cost of the programs that I created and the ticket stubs. And then I had to pay my sister, who was the actress, so... Um, I guess I kind of understood the economics behind art 
pretty early on, and so they always laugh because Monet is my is my um, birth name, and they're like, "We named you well, girl, because Monet, you all about your money." <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that you do voice is you're an artist in in residence uh, with the Kissmart program at McDonough City Park Academy, and you just mentioned that you you would charge your parents for your performances, which is hilarious to I me. Would. I just did performances for my parents. I didn't think to charge them, but. <laughs> How do you recognize a child who has that kind of industrious nature in him or her? You know, they're the ones who are asking all the questions. Um, and I just try to present as much as I can to my students and just all the children that I come into contact with. And there's always a couple that are pushing it beyond the art that I'm presenting to them. And they're thinking about how they would go about presenting it to their communities and to the people that they know. And I always spot those kids. You know, I, I do music residencies, and then there's kids who are who always come to me with questions about managing and producing. And then when we get in, with the older kids, I do a whole behind the scenes in the music industry because a lot of young people think that the only people making money are the people that we see. And mm-hmm. I really help them to understand that the people making the most money are the people we don't see. And they'll just come at me and just be honest about what their intentions are. And I let them know there's many, many roles um, to be played and a lot of money to be made. You have um, access, uh, once again, to, uh, you know, to, to kids and to work with them about music. And it's very interesting. I mean, as I, as I listen to, um, and I've heard some of your other music, as I listen to your music, your music by all standards and by all accounts in hip-hop is eclectic. And it's, it's, a, it's a very refreshing mix of, of jazz and other world musical styles. But with a lot of the kids today, especially in New Orleans, they really only hear one thing when it comes to rap and hip hop. So how do the kids that you work with, with Kids Smart and any other program that you work with, how do they connect with your musical style? It's interesting that you say that because I actually did a performance yesterday at um, McDonough City Parks. Um, they had a poetry hip hop jam and I was the musical guest. And the younger kids, they I work with them very closely. The older kids, I haven't started working with them yet, so they see me around the school and they assume I'm like a dance teacher. Sure. And I was pretty femininely dressed, because that's just me. I'm a grown woman. And I, they were all looking at me in shock when I started rapping, um, because I think they were having a hard time processing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, they really enjoyed it, and then when I came back later, they're like, oh, that's Miss Boyce, that's the rapper. Um, but I realized they don't see, you know, women who rap. It's different from you and I. We we have women that we can reference in hip-hop. They don't, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not Nicki Minaj. Right. So they're like, well, who is this woman? Um, but they do appreciate it, and I make it a point to... Um, play a variety of different hip-hop for the kids because I realize kids now, not just here in New Orleans, but everywhere, aren't getting um, choices in what they hear. And once they they get that choice, you'd be surprised at what they like. You know, kids gravitate to KRS-One, kids gravitate to Tribe Called Quest. They really here seem to take to Arrested Development, which is interesting. Mm. Um, because Arrested Development was always this kind of question mark when I was younger as sure. to how, how they became so successful in the climate of, the, of hip-hop at that time. And so for you, music education is obviously a, a, a big deal. How do they respond to the other parts of music, especially the business side, when you talk to them? 
The older kids really seem to take to it. Um, I think that we as Americans can't help but have capitalism ingrained in the fabric of who we are. And I realize this more whenever I go abroad, you know, that we constantly are thinking about how to turn a buck, whether we understand that or not. So kids here definitely have that mentality. And for them to have an outlet that is legal, um, that is productive, they really move towards that. Not everybody is a performer, but some people have the vision for the person who's the performer. So um, my older kids, they really enjoy breaking off into groups and people having defined roles of who's going to do what. Um, there's some people who write. You know, we do a ghostwriting workshop. So some people really are excellent writers, but they know that they will never be that person on stage to perform it. So they give it to the person who's the ham in the class, and that person performs it. Um, I've had many marketing lessons which have come out better than I would have even anticipated from, you know, 7th, 8th graders. But they understand it because they're constantly being sold something and um, in media. So they don't, you know, they get it without even being taught how to get it. You do a lot of your uh, touring, and you do a lot of your music in Europe. You, you've, had, you've, have an, you've had an impact uh, in Europe. And so that being said, I'm going to ask you this point blank. Are European music listeners simply more open-minded than American mu- music listeners? Hmm, without getting too specific, I would say that there's less of a system of bureaucracy in music. I understand. Europe. Okay. And um and there's much more appreciation for musicality. I think it's why they snatched up our jazz musicians. Um they snatched up, you know, blues musicians. People of yesterday can easily go to Europe and sell out shows. Um it's just a different thing. There is an ageism that exists here in the states. Um, they really look for quality and artistic excellence, and that doesn't matter if you are 19 years old or 90 years old. Um, it doesn't matter if you're 120 pounds or 300 pounds. If they like your voice, they like your voice, and it's just a, it's a different it's a different take on it. Of the musical styles that you fuse, which ones are your favorite to work with? Ooh. Um, I definitely love jazz. You know, I came from a very rich jazz background. Um, I'm, as I get older, I'm developing a really true appreciation for soul music, um, Gamble and Huff. You know, all the silly Isn't soul that sound. Interesting? And, yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, like just the stuff that I grew up listening to. I realized its influence in how I write, just have creating music with a message, creating music that heals. A lot of that existed in who we are. Uh, as a people in our music it was very much there that struggle was there and so soul music blues um or r&b you know pretty much everything up to i mean i I still love stuff now but my my deepest appreciation is for soul and jazz what other what other musical styles have you experimented with in your music i've experimented with pretty much everything i'm a big classical um fan so i have Oh, favorite composer. Who's your favorite composer? Oh, I love Mahler. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of intense, so... I'm a big Debussy fan. Oh, I, I love Debussy. It's, it's, my, it's my softer side. Yeah, Debussy <laughs> is my romantic, whimsical side. Sure. Um, Mahler is my intense side, and I think that intensity is one of the reasons why I'm an MC. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's... Um, I like John Adams, too, um... Yeah, I love quite a few composers, but I've experimented with everything. It's it's interesting because when producers send me stuff, originally they would send me these like tracks with birds on them and 
just really girly things. And I was just, <laughs> it's like, I'm aware that I'm a female. I've kind of been one all my life. Why don't we try something else? And so they would start to send me different stuff and be surprised at which ones I would choose. Um, but I'm open. You know, if the music speaks to me, I will put words to it. So there's a, uh, there's a question I like to ask everyone on the success series, mm-hmm. and that is, let's say you're on your deathbed right now, and I give you a small sheet of paper, and I tell you that I would like for you to write one thought for the good of humanity. What would that thought be? Hmm. Ooh, that's deep. I wish I had known about that one beforehand, but that's uh, cool. That's why I, like, I didn't tell you about I like it beforehand. The um, if I had to write one thought, I would say make sure you free yourself in life um, so you can be free once you're out of here. The difference from voice get the beat Wait, Miss Bahala, do you? No, no. It's Miss Voice. It's oh, cool. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, so does everybody. It's all right. You mean I got to sound like myself when I rap? Always set yourself apart so people know who you are. Wait, Miss Boyce, have you ever got a bad review? Yes, I have. I don't have no gold chains or money, but I could just rap like me. Uh, gold chains? <laughs> Down in the trim with me and my baby. <laughs> Lance, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm I'm looking forward to season two, and uh, I hope everybody else is. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of us are really looking forward to it. Uh, but Lance is known for some great roles, but I, I don't think any is groundbreaking as his role as the vampire And Give Me a Break. <laughs> oh, you didn't go there, did you? Oh. I joke with you about that, but man, I'm looking at your 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 listing of movies and television shows, and the first thing that jumps out out at me consistency. I mean, right. you have consistently worked uh, throughout your career. How were you able to achieve that? Because that's a hard thing. Well, for, for you actors. know, yes, it is. And and at the time when I first started working, I was living in Los Angeles and got married at a at a fairly young age and started a family and so trying to balance being a father and a husband and and working uh-huh. um the work was consistent but honestly man in the beginning it wasn't consistent enough that i i had also have a little side job yeah so trying to combine all those three things together was very difficult but I can say unequivocally, I, I've had this, the tremendous support of uh, my wife of 31 years. Yeah. Uh, Zardis Nichols, yeah. who's actually Zardis. from here. Yeah, the wonderful Zardis. Treme yeah. girl, grew uh-huh. up, uh, Lafitte Project. And yeah, everything. she knows my parents as a matter Exactly, of yeah. exactly. Well, see, I know your dad too, man. Okay, all right. Uh, but she's she's been a big supporter of mine, and, and, and I would say for at least the first 15 and 20 years of our marriage was pretty much the financial backbone Mm -hmm. she had the regular job while i was pursuing my career (laughs) all right now uh this is this is always a fun or not so fun part for actors but uh what was the worst job you had the worst job i had probably was a telemarketing job Uh selling toner 
over the phone. <laughs> Biggest scam in the world, brother. <laughs> Biggest scam in the world. It went kind of something like this. Hi, this is Lance Nichols with blah, blah, blah. I can't. I can't All right. Um, yeah, we don't want to do company. that. Uh, I'm calling you because I noticed here on my records that it's time to have your, uh, your copier service. It looks like it's time for you to order ink. But you know what? I was drinking my coffee this morning, and I accidentally spilled some coffee, and I can't tell exactly what this model number is. It's kind of blurry. Would you mind going and check your model number for me? Wait a minute. And people right. would go. I, I, I'm not lying to you, Eddie. It went just like that. Stop. You didn't. You didn't have to go with the coffee thing. Did oh you? yeah, that was part of the script. That was part of the script. And that people is would hilarious. go. Oh, hold on one second. They would come back and go. Oh, it's a, it's a cannon. Blah blah blah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I I can make that out now. That's exactly what it says. Well, you know what? It's time for you. You need some more toner. And it was it was the worst job. Man. <laughs> the worst job. I'm done telemarketing, so I'm feeling it. Right. I'm completely feeling it. What about uh? What was the best side job you had? The best side job I had probably was uh, being a being a taxi driver, man. I, uh, I was a cab driver on and off for about on and off for about eight years, mm -hmm. primarily worked nights. You meet some very interesting cats at night yeah. driving a cab, man, <laughs> especially in uh, in Los Angeles, a yeah, city like that. Yeah. I probably could write a book. Uh -huh. About the various experiences I had driving a taxi, man. Now, one of the things that uh, that stood out to me when we had our conversation with Voice is that she said that she charged you guys for her performances. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's always been an entrepreneur. <laughs> she's she. Let me tell you something. She was like the original Spike Lee. <laughs> she would. Uh, she and and and, uh, and her little sister Indigo. They would. Uh, they would produce shows for us in the mm -hmm. living room at the yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, Voice would make the programs. Uh, they would build sets made mostly out of cardboard boxes, but they would have lighting, crude uh -huh. lighting and, and music. The oldest daughter, uh, Kiki, used to run the music. Uh, they would have costumes. They would have wardrobe. So the programs <laughs> would say something like uh, a, well, at that at the time, Voice was going under her birth name, which is Aaron. Mm -hmm. It would say, you know, the name of the, the name of the play, Written by Aaron Nichols, produced by Aaron Nichols, directed by Aaron Nichols, and Aaron Nichols production. And then they would charge my wife and I 50 cents to a dollar to watch a play in our own house. <laughs> so when you think back, I mean, and, I, and obviously the Kiki voice and Indigo, I mean, there are obviously some fine memories. A lot of stuff rubbed off. When you take a look at your children, uh, where do you see that Lance Nichols has rubbed off? And where do you see the Zardis has rubbed off? Well, you know, I mean, the, the musical side, because both of my daughters, well, all three of my daughters actually are, are, are very musical. Mm -hmm. And that side they absolutely get from my wife. My wife is, mm -hmm. uh, is an accomplished jazz singer. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say just the sheer kind of insanity and mm -hmm. craziness <laughs> they get from me. What was the role that, when you saw the finished product on film or television, you said, you know what? I love what I did right there. I'm happy with it, and this is what it's all about. Maybe not so much a, ro a role where you were highly recognized, but the role that, you, that just really made you feel that you had a real future in acting. Well, uh, the role that's, well, I won't say real future. The role that really sort of changed it for me was The Preacher, in the curious case of Benjamin Button, yeah, yeah, the David Fincher film that came out, I believe, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and it's interesting because working with a, a director as accomplished as uh, David was was a was a learning experience for me. Um, 
that film uh, took me from uh, it. It sort of raised the credibility factor sure, for me sure. as an actor, mm-hmm. and uh, it went from when my agent would pitch me to casting people or directors. It went from, oh, what has he done to oh. Oh, him? Yeah. Oh, yes. We'll absolutely see him. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because I don't think I'm I'm any different of an actor now than I was before that movie. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that movie gave me a visibility and credibility uh, that, for whatever reason, I didn't seem to have on a national scale mm-hmm, mm-hmm. prior to that. Mm-hmm. So that was the movie for me. I, I thought that movie was exceptional. Um, I, I really wish that the Academy had felt that way mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because I felt that that film deserved uh, a lot more awards than it than it received. Yeah, you, you can't do you can't do an interview with an actor without talking about advice. I mean, because there there's so many folks out there. I mean, you, you you're teaching folks acting, right? Correct. And there's so many who have that dream, and actors dream hard. Uh, that's one thing I know. Actors dream hard. Artists dream hard. Of course. Actors, musicians, whoever. What is the first thing when someone comes to you and says, I've got to be an actor. I, I got to be like you. I got to be the preacher in Benjamin. I, I got to be in a movie. Break. I got to do I got to do what you're doing. What is the first thing that comes out of your mouth? I would say, uh, well, there's two things. Number one, you absolutely need to be spiritually grounded, whatever that might be for you. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with a specific religion. But you need to be spiritually grounded because there are a lot of uh, nuggets and carrots that are dangled mm-hmm. in front of your face sure, when you're in the sure. entertainment business. And um, I mean, it's, it's very easy. It's very easy to uh, be swayed mm-hmm. or misled. And then I would say number two, and it's a very close number two. You need to make sure that you have a burning passion mm-hmm. to want to yeah. do this. Because you're going to get a lot of more no's than yeses. Yeah. And if you're thin-skinned, this is not the business for you, man. Yeah. Because people are constantly going to tell you, no, you can't do this. You're not right. You're too dark. You're too light. You're too fat. You're too skinny. Mm-hmm. You're not tall enough. You're too short. Mm-hmm. I mean, people will come up with all kind of reasons why you why you shouldn't do this or why you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's members of the family. Well, why don't you like, why don't you get a real job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why don't you think about pursuing a real job mm-hmm. for some reason, Eddie? And I, and I don't understand this, man. I think it's really kind of unfair because if, if you, if you have an interest or if you want to pursue any other career that is non-artistic, uh, usually your family members and, and people are very supportive of that. For example, let's say if if you wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to be a uh, a world renowned physician to be considered a successful physician. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to be an attorney, you don't have to be a world renowned attorney to be successful. If you wanted to be a teacher, same same premise applies. But unless you become a known entity mm-hmm. in the entertainment business, whether it be as a visual artist or a performing artist or a singer or a dancer, you're not considered successful. And I think that is absolutely wrong. Yeah, yeah. Why, why is it that way? Yeah, yeah. You know? 
And I, and I can completely understand that. I mean, my doing stand-up comedy, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is you are judged by whether or not people laugh. Exactly. Nobody's going to say, hey, man, you did a good job. You know, they're going to say it wasn't funny, <laughs> you know. Right. And that's pretty much the end of the night for you. I right. mean, you know, there's no moral victory in doing stand-up comedy when the set doesn't quite go the way that it goes. And that being said, I, you know, I have to ask you, as far as acting is concerned, um, how many times on this difficult path, and I, and I got to know it's a difficult path, how many times have you been tempted really to just – Chuck it all and say, you know what? I, I, I'll, honestly, I'll honestly, uh, Eddie, never. I'm I, either yeah. I'm too stubborn or I'm too stupid, or maybe a combination of both. Man, that kind of works for artists, though. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> I've I've always felt like uh, this was my gift. Mm -hmm. This was my talent, and everybody has different talents and gifts. And I always felt like uh, I just needed the right opportunity to mm -hmm. show someone that I could do what I know I could do. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's an analogy that I like to use that I think here we in New Orleans would totally understand, man. You know how, and everybody has it, and if you say you don't, you're lying. You know how you see that that, that roach that runs across the floor oh, yeah. and, and then you, you miss him, you go to step on him and you go, okay, I'm going to get him the next time he comes out. So you, you spray down mm -hmm. and you figure, okay, I got him. And then two nights later you come out, and you see him again, mm -hmm. uh, I'm like that roach that would not go away. Yeah. <laughs> that roach that you thought you had gotten rid of, mm -hmm. and then you look you look around, and, and, and that roach is back. I just, I have no, or did I pick the right career, honestly has never crossed my mind. Wow. Never, wow. ever. If anything, what it did, it hardened me mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to show you you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make this happen. Few things won't go away in life, ladies and gentlemen. That would be roaches and taxes, potted meat, and uh, Lance Nichols. <laughs> Lance, uh, here's my, always my last question to folks on the Success Series. Let's say that right now you're on your deathbed, and I give you a small sheet of paper, and you have to write one thought for the good or the betterment of humanity. What would that thought be? Wow, that's a, that's a heavy question. Voice responded the same way. Wow. <laughs> One thought or humanity. I would probably say, Eddie, be truthful to one another. Mm -hmm. um, in all of my work and my dealings with people, I, I try to be as truthful as I possibly can. And in the entertainment business, that's a challenge because this business operates from such a position of fear. Mm -hmm. everybody's afraid to tell the next person no because they never know if the person that they told on Monday no will turn out to be their boss on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So I try to, I, I just wish that we could operate from a position of just being truthful and honest with people. And I think that will serve you well in whatever career that you choose. So again, these are throwback interviews that I did in 2010 during my days on WYLD FM's Sunday Journal when I was a co-producer and a contributor. And the first one you heard was hip hop artist Voice. And the second was her dad, Lance E. Nichols, New Orleans own. So the next episode is going to be about a phrase that we normally hear when we love to talk about college life. 
college isn't for everybody we're going to talk about why we have an issue with that term now this is a young podcast we're still a baby i'll tell you which one that i think is really cool you'll love this one episode four the mental health benefits of giving that's a segment that halima did with her good friend and mental health professional leslie brown so download that today and share them with friends you can download here on podbean or you can do it on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to do that. And of course, rate us, send them some comments. We'd love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for downloading this episode of For Our Edification, and we'll see you for episode 10.